In this episode, we talk about how organizations can have a more active corporate social responsibility strategy through the medium of events. We also chat about what organizations are doing for the good of society during COVID-19. If you like this episode, go to acftechnologies.com forward slash podcast and subscribe. This will let you have input into future episodes with questions. It will also give you email reminders of new content. Welcome back to Customer Experience Conversations. Today, I'm joined by Adam. Hello. And Alex Cullen and Lisa Freudman. Hi. Alex and Lisa are experts in corporate social responsibility and sustainability. Would you guys like to quickly introduce yourselves to the audience? Sure. It's very kind of you to say we're experts. Alex and I work together for a consultancy called Blah, which we started up about a year ago now, so just under a year ago. So we're pretty much a baby agency. Our background is client side, so we have come over to the dark side of agency and consultancy. I suppose where we differ from a lot of other consultants is, number one, we love plain English, so we don't go for any of that sort of blah, 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 hence the name. And number two, we have worked client side for a long time. We've worked on retail. We know how to make stuff happen. So I think effectively the difference for us is that we we love the strategy bit of it but we also are really passionate about making it actionable and making things really happen there's nothing worse than having consultants that come in and give you a lovely long presentation and then it ends up going in a drawer and you never do anything with it again and we've seen a few of those in our time so I suppose when we started working together, we decided quite quickly that we should focus on sustainability and CSR side. It's something we're both really passionate about and it's something we both worked on in quite a lot of detail um, at various stints at m through Plan A. So most people should know what Plan A is. Um, it's effectively m eco-ethical policy. And we both led the marketing for that at different times in our career. And it's very much a first of its kind. Um, but what it did mean is that we worked on various facets of sustainability, everything from sort of clothing donation and exchange to charitable partnerships, to community volunteering, to food traceability, to food waste, to buildings management. So we really got the full gamut. And I think what we wanted to do was come, um, come at it from a slightly different angle there's a lot of really amazing technical sustainability agencies out there who can help you track your carbon footprint and so on. But what we're really passionate about doing is making sustainability um, engaging for consumers. It might be customers. It might be your clients if you're a B2B. It might be your employees as well. So it's effectively helping businesses to join the dots from what can sometimes be quite dry CSR policies into a really engaging piece of communication for your stakeholders. And I suppose we talk about it. It's it's interesting, isn't it? It's it's a two-way relationship. So part of it is a brand going, look, here's the stuff we're doing. But part of that... It, that contract is also, here's some stuff that you as a consumer can be doing to make a difference in your day-to-day consumption. And that kind of contract of we're doing our bit, here's how you can do your bit, I think is increasingly the direction that 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 popular culture is going in terms of how much more engaged consumers are with sustainability and and the brands that are, that are making a difference in this space. Yeah. And I think we talk to businesses a lot around, it's not really just enough to, to have your business KPIs anymore. You know, you're a business, you've got to make money. Of course you do. But equally, you know, what is your role as an educator? 
in this space. You know, you have to take more responsibility and you have to gain some credibility in that space. And likewise, from a, a kind of activism point of view, where are you trying to change things at that sort of level? And it might be activism with a small a, uh, but nonetheless, it's about how you try and change things for the better at all levels. And I think increasingly consumers are expecting that more and more. And I think interestingly, what's happened now is that we are seeing brands have to put their money where their mouths are really with the current situation. You know, CSR and and social policy is not just a thing now that gets written on a poster and put on your meeting room wall. It's something that you're now having to live and and really show what you can do in this space and and really, like I say, put your money where your mouth is, which is really fascinating to see how the various brands are responding to it at the moment. That's super interesting at the moment, especially. Um, around five to ten years ago, almost every organization's CSR strategy consisted of just a web page or two on their website with a bunch of meaningless text that claims the company follows certain values. That passive strategy is definitely starting to shift into a more of an active one. We've seen this with many of the organizations we work with who are beginning to host educational events for the community and their customers to try and bring some extra value outside of just their core products and services. So teaching them about sustainability, managing their finances properly. I wanted to ask, what other things have you seen organizations implement that similar to this? So I think it's interesting your point about events because there's that element of where in the customer journey is it most effective for this story to come to life? And there's a place, there's a big piece about kind of right place, right time. So it's probably not the number one purchase driver as you're there at point of purchase and and you're in a rush and you're looking to choose between kind of brands or between services, et cetera. But it's about yeah. finding the right space when your customer's in that right mindset to really engage and interact with them at that level. Uh, yeah, I think we are, as you say, seeing lots of businesses start to create more interaction. And it's it's an interesting trend, isn't it? Because we have gone from, you know, the big dot com boom where everything's online and we assume that everybody wants to do stuff remotely to actually a lot of businesses realizing, including businesses that were born from being an online player, to, to figuring out how they actually connect with their customers in the real world. And I think that's really, really interesting. I think you know that of course there has to be an element of credibility there but ultimately what are those businesses doing to to kind of talk to their customers over and above and create a real community so a few years ago we talked a lot about online communities and you know that it still holds true now but ultimately there is very much a real world need at the moment for people to connect and people to have that kind of personal connection and again that's going to be exacerbated by the current situation it's going to be really fascinating to see once we all come out of lockdown wherever whenever that happens um what that looks like for businesses. So it kind of feels like I don't want to do the whole big coronavirus has changed everything forever. Uh, you know, and I think there will be an element of going back to a level of normality afterwards, but expectations of brands and how they behave and how they interact with their customers is going to be ever more important. Uh, you see at the moment, obviously there are businesses that are still running and some of them are doing an amazing job and we can come on to talk about some examples later. But there are also a lot of businesses, you know, firing out the emails that we've all seen, you know, from businesses that you haven't done anything with for three or four years, sending you out emails to see how you are. And 
I think it's it's quite transparent when that happens. But what's going to be interesting is what happens afterwards. You know, are you going to keep talking to me? How are you going to continue that relationship with me? And actually meeting people in the real world and interacting with people in the real world is going to be one way of doing it. But like I say, I think there is, there's got to be a big area of credibility. And if you think about a community, if you think about it from a community perspective, there has to be an element of ownership for the community as well as the brand. I think people can be quite cynical um, if brands aren't careful. People will see right through that. So that whole area of transparency and credibility is really important as well. For sure. There's definitely something, isn't there? Like this this whole situation has really thrown up this grassroots community angle that was kind of bubbling away in the background. But again, this has been brought into sharp focus. So yeah, how different towns and, and, and villages are kind of coming or kind of parts of a parts of a city are coming together and going, This is what matters to our community, this is how we're going to, to support. And and actually for, for bigger kind of national corporate brands, it's quite a scary place to play because there in theory is a role but equally there's also a need to give up control as a national brand to if you're going to be effective in helping with the individual needs of the the specific community that your your store manager is is in so there's there's definitely a kind of an uncomfortable shift for bigger brands in terms of what level of ownership is kind of handed down to what element to what extent are you are you a, a sponsor and a supporter versus actively driving certain things i think the partnership that got announced this week with boots and raising the profile of essentially becoming a, a, a safe space if, if you're suffering from domestic abuse. It's a really interesting example of a brand looking to what is it that they do, who are the customers that are coming through their door, and how can they help the most vulnerable people in the most effective way for them. It's a really, really interesting example of a brand going, this is how we can be most useful right now. And I think that's what, what every brand needs to look to is essentially what do they do, what's their skill set and and what do customers come to them for and therefore what what purpose are they serving? Are they there to entertain? Are they providing connectivity? Is it literally a lifeline when when your your personal kind of safety is under under threat? I think every brand will have a different answer to that depending on who you are as a brand, where you've come from, what your reputation is and which sector you're in. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It comes back to the point about who do you want to be as a brand and accepting that you're going to have to have different objectives and different ways of figuring out what good looks like, which ultimately is not going to give you necessarily short term sales, if that's what you're looking for, but will give you that kind of deeper brand engagement with your consumers. You know, there's lot there's lots of different examples. The Boots one is a great one. You know, MS, our old stomping ground, working with Freebie Wax uh, for mental health and have it and setting up Frazzle Cafe, which is using their hospitality space to run mental health um, awareness sessions as well is another really good example of that. And I think, you know, we've talked a lot about high streets and you know, what the, what the future of the high street is. And, you know, if you're in retail, you will have had those conversations numerous times, I'm sure. But it, it feels like we're coming to a point and, and maybe this situation has expedited that, but we are coming to a point where high streets are no longer retail centres, they're community centres. And that's going to be really interesting to see brands and businesses approach to that too. Absolutely. You know, the example you just gave there of, of boots, I, I, that's brilliant. I think it's a, such a great idea for so many, so many reasons. And fair play to them for doing it as well, because you know people do need 
support. And I, I think I did actually read up on that because that was only launched yesterday. I think domestic violence calls and things are up by 25%. Oh, the stats are horrific. Yeah. Yeah. Scarily. I actually remembered that one, but I think some of them were even worse. So a, a big well done to Boots for doing that. Um, and I think if brands can do similar things, I really, really completely agree with what Lisa was just saying regarding community and how the kind of the conventional high street that we've known for the last 15 years, that not has not died, but it's definitely needs to change. It needs to evolve. You know, at the moment, if you walk down a high street, maybe three months ago, sad to say, but it would be charity shops, maybe some bookies, and then it'd be the standard kind of normal chains that you see all the time. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But I think the more that brands can do to build themselves in the community and be part of the community and offer things to put back, it will actually change the way that consumers behave regarding their shopping. It won't just be, I'm going to town to go shopping. It will be, I'm going to town. And that would just be, going to town will be a different thing. It will become like a social experience, if that makes sense. Totally agree. Yeah. I I think that is the future. And the sooner that brands, and some are already doing it massively, and some some of them are doing brilliant stuff. But the sooner that brands engage with that and they realize that to drive people off the Internet and drive people away from, you know, just transactional purchasing online back into your your town center, they need to do that. And that will actually help the economy. It will help everyone thrive. Um, So I think that boots example you just gave, I love. Yeah. And I think, you know, that there is something about businesses and retailers specifically needing to come off the RPF drug. we need to accept that that space is going to be used for other things. And it's not all about how much we can sell within a, you know, a eight hour period or whatever it is. It's, it's about how you use that space and accepting that that's not necessarily, as I say, going to drive a short term game, but it will be much more around a longer term relationship with your customers. Um, and I think, you know, we've talked a lot about the Boots example, but there are other things out there at the moment that we can talk about that effectively i think businesses attitudes to this current situation are going to hold them in really really good stead going forwards um equally will hold them in in perhaps less of a a good place as well i think we we don't need to talk about the brands that have kind of have not behaved particularly well over this period but i think businesses that have looked after their customers um and looked after their staff as well is really important and you know, best practice for me is Morrison's. If you look at what they're doing and how they're behaving, um, I think it's, I mean, it's incredible, actually. They've done, you know, they've used their line. It's more than our job across all their comms, but actually they've they've really lived it. It's become less of a line and, and more of a, a sort of real mantra. And I've been so impressed with the, the different things that they've been doing, which is very much more around being part of a community, but being part of the different communities. So, Obviously, they've done a lot for NHS workers, as a lot of businesses now are, but they've done things like they've done discounts for their farmers. So they're thinking about their suppliers as well. Everything they do, they're talking about their amazing staff. So you kind of get the sense that they're a fantastic place to work for. And and, and you also feel positively towards them because of that as a consumer as well. And then they've done really practical stuff. You know, they've they've for a big business to turn stuff around quickly is, is tough, right? And they've you know, done the things like the food boxes that they're now sending out that have got kind of all the basics in that they're sending out in one go, which just didn't exist a few months ago. And actually to turn stuff like that around so quickly is really, really impressive. So, you know, across the whole gamut, a brand like that is doing really well. And I think people and consumers will recognize that and then post this situation. 
that's only going to be a positive thing for them. So it's kind of a win-win. Absolutely. Definitely. And I think at this point, it's it's the worry about how you walk the walk and then you can talk the talk afterwards. But but really, it's that focus on, to Lisa's point, how do you really mobilize your organization in a way that's super focused on, on the solution and on making it real rather than just a PR headline? Absolutely. I, I, there are things that brands are doing now and you have to look at personally, Morrison's, my local supermarket is a Morrison's and everything that they're doing, you get this feeling that what they're doing is very genuine. Yeah. And they yeah. almost treat their staff, their customers as like a family, if that makes sense. And you could try and do that as a brand and you could come across completely disingenuous. And I think they they, whatever, they obviously are looking after people. Uh, and there's, there's lots of companies out there. But then there are other companies, and I won't name any, which after this... Their brands may not have already been thought of very well, but there are certain brands that, that will, people will absolutely not shop at again. I think, there's a, I think there's a very big opportunity during COVID-19 for companies not to reinvent themselves, but to really kind of grow their client base and grow their brand. And I'm sure you guys, as, as Louis says, you're experts in this as opposed to myself. I think what's what's interesting from an organizational perspective, though, if you're in a large business like that, this is one of those where it's not just, oh, the marketing team's written a, a, a brand purpose strategy and it's on a nice bit of paper and it's going to go in a TV ad. It's uh, how does this purpose run through the everything that we're doing and how is everyone pulling in that direction which is exactly what it should be and it but it's that piece of it it's not just a bit of face paint this has got to be done with the highest level of integrity i suppose yeah it comes back to what we know about retail and indeed a lot of businesses wherein you know you can sit in head office and say whatever you like it's if you don't engage with those people who are actually the ones meeting with your customers or your clients, then you're not going to get anywhere. Those people need to believe in what you're doing. And so you need to behave, you need to be selling it into them in such a way that it's not, again, it's not just a piece of paper that you email around and say, this is now our brand purpose. You have to live it yourself and you have to bring your your community, uh, your colleagues along with you on that journey. And if you don't do that, then it never reaches your customers. It's a very, very important part of the whole journey. Yeah. And it's where actually the high end of like the communications of corporate responsibility is actually it's just so wide reaching because it's employee engagement, but it's also potentially investor engagement. If you if you need your investors, your shareholders, like key industry stakeholders to be bought in and supportive of where your focus is, as well as then your end customer and it becoming part of your competitive advantage. It's really being able to stretch it right the way across those audiences and make sure everyone's on the same page and everyone's filling in their piece of the puzzle yeah it's it's really great to see everyone come together and, and contribute in the pre-pod conversation you briefly mentioned what some of the car manufacturers are doing it was uh, mclaren and mercedes mercedes yeah. yeah so just for the audience listening what are they doing to help out right now sure so i think there's something really interesting about the current situation, which has has 
turbocharge certain um, certain businesses' approach to to innovation, and this comes back right to looking at who are you, what's your capability, where are your strengths, and where can you add value and to to problem solve around this situation. So, Project Pit Lane is essentially all seven of the UK based Formula One teams coming together to problem solve on different elements of um, of COVID-19. So the headlines went to Mercedes for their partnership with UCL in rapidly developing um, new ventilators. But what I think the, the bit that's most transferable for, for everyone in terms of a set of principles is that they went, okay, our core skills are we've got an incredible set of engineers that are really focused on rapid design, manufacturing a prototype, testing, and then highly skilled assembly. And so how can we apply those skills to this crisis situation that is now now facing us? And that as a means to drive innovation in, um, well, for one, <laughs> NHS procurement, but two, there's all sorts of different ways that, that this idea of the kind of the fusion that you get from different sectors coming together to um, to address a problem. So, I mean, it's something that's been rumbling on for a few years in terms of like corporate away days and hackathons and things like that. But th- I think this is really brought into sharp focus just how much can be achieved if if there's a very very clear problem that needs solving and how you how you kind of parachute in expertise from different sectors to get a very so I think that Mercedes UCL example, they turned around in 100 hours. That's how focused they were on it. So wow. this idea of you need you need six months for for an innovation pipeline is is very much being turned on its head. And I think also the idea of procurement, like um, I don't know if you've heard of Scrubhub, or um, which is essentially just a, a, a way of kind of channeling all of the all of the people at home that are now sewing face masks and other scrubs and and so on. That's just taking advantage of the fact that there's there's millions of people with sewing machines at home and the the capability to follow a pattern and 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 make scrubs. Like that's a it's a very different approach to procurement. And they're not saying that they're set up to deliver to massive NHS trusts, but they are they're filling a need within a different part of the within the sector and and being incredibly effective in in doing so. So that that idea of just thinking more more broadly about what could be possible when you've got the right people with the right skills mobilized and pulling in the right direction. I think there's some really interesting examples of that. Yeah, I I agree. And I think in the future, it's going to be really interesting to see how that pans out, because I think what's happened now is almost businesses have had to, out of necessity, prove to themselves that they can do things differently. And that's everything from sort of big engineering companies that Alex just talked about, to the Morrisons of this world, to you know, uh, other supermarkets to online businesses. And I think, you know, they've proved they can do it now. So what does that mean for innovation in the future? Does that open up the floodgates? Because I think, you know, we, we're all held back by what we think is, is the art of the possible. And, you know, to Alex's point, you know, innovation funnels can be six months, can be two years long. Um, and if stuff is being turned around in six weeks, I think it's, it, it creates a really exciting environment for brands to think, well, how do we do things differently? Because we know it's now possible. Uh, you know, innovation is one aspect of that. And another aspect of it might be roles and responsibilities. You know, we're all doing something different now, I would imagine, to what we were doing 
three or four months ago. So what does that mean for our career paths? Does that mean we're all going to be doing something different? Or does that mean we've identified that actually there's more to our previous jobs than we, we perhaps thought? Amazing. Okay. And one final question before we wrap this up. If you had to give one piece of advice to organizations looking to improve their CSR and sustainability strategy, what would it be and what can they focus on right now? So my starting point would be where where can you have the biggest impact? So it's very easy for businesses to chase whatever's big in the headlines. So plastic being a shining example of something that's dominated the conversation over the last couple of years. And I think really helpful framework for this is the UN Sustainable Development Goals. So there's 17 different areas that have been mapped out and they look at sustainability broadly. So this, it, yes, it's about climate change. It's about getting to net zero, but it's also about sustainable employment and connected cities. So where can you as an organization with the skills that you've got make the biggest impact? And what does that impact look like as we start to rebuild post-COVID? And what does it look like as we start to hit um, the various net zero targets that are on the horizon? And I think that piece about innovation is possible at a speed that perhaps we didn't think it was before. Yes, and but that's only true because of the focus that it's been given. So I think being really choiceful about where you can focus and where you can have mass impact is really important if you want to bring all of your employees, your stakeholders and your customers with you. And I think to follow on from that, I would say that it's it's about remembering that when you say sustainability, it can sound a bit scary because it sounds like that this big amorphous thing and you think well you know how can one business how can one person deliver against it but remembering that creating a sustainable business and a sustainable world is not just about the big things of course you've got to think about those but it's also about what you're doing in your community how are you making your business a better place to work how are you making life easier for your customers and I think that's where the kind of engagement thing comes in it's it's trying to think about okay we've got this kind of big policy here but actually what does it really mean for each of us within this business? And what does it mean for each of our customers? It doesn't have to be a massive thing in order to drive mass change if you're all pulling in the same direction. Amazing. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Alex and Lisa. And if any listeners would like to find out more about what they're doing, check out www.blah.london and that's B-L-A dot London. Cheers, guys. Yeah, thanks very much. Thanks for having us. Great, yeah. Goodbye. Thanks, everyone. See ya. Thank you, guys. Lovely, lovely to spend time with you and go for that. Cheers. Bye-bye.